0: This is the Fathering Project podcast, Figuring It Out Together, where we tackle many challenges facing dads and father figures and explore fathering across all ages, from newborns to toddlers, school age, and teenagers. We speak with experts in their fields to help you navigate solutions and positive outcomes for each stage of your fathering journey. Let's figure it out together. Hello and welcome to the Fathering Project podcast. Katty Gapayar here and joining me today is Dr. Laurie Steed. In this episode, we'll be in conversation with Laurie as we look into his latest book, Love, Dad, Confessions of an Anxious Father. Our discussion will revolve around the experience of fatherhood, the influence of our upbringing on our parenting styles and strategies to overcome challenges so that we can be the best support for our children. Laurie has joined us before uh, on our podcast, and he's an award-winning author from Perth. He writes about parenting, families, and masculinity to encourage more discussion about empathy, authenticity, and shared vulnerability. His latest book, Love, Dad, Confessions of an Anxious Father, charts his journey as a reforming perfectionist and explores how embracing life's necessary imperfections helped him back to being a caring, present father to his two young boys. Laurie, a big welcome to you.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: I'm really keen to understand how you managed to let go of perfectionism. So <laughs> can you tell us a little about your new book, Love, Dad, Confessions of an Anxious Father? What was the inspiration behind it?
1: Well, initially in 2005, uh, my father had a heart attack. And so during that time, I'd just begun my writing journey, and I wrote this book called Nearly Lost You, which was about a boy who was afraid of being a father, pretty autobiographical at that point. Uh, and that sort of came and went, and it wasn't published at that time. Uh, but then about eight years later, my father again had an accident, and he fell off the roof and into a coma. Um, and it was this was about a month prior to me uh, becoming a father for the very first time. And so I guess that was the next sort of cog in recognizing my father's journey and the journey of me becoming a father. And then eight years come and went as parenting often brings into your world a whole bunch of chaos and all kinds of trials and joys. And uh, in 2020, my father again had a heart attack. So by this point, I was starting to have the hospital on speed dial. And what was interesting about this time was that it was about seven years after the accident, And my boys were at an age now where I realized I'd lived a life in those past seven or eight years. And so I wanted to unpack, uh, I guess, my journey of finding out what it was like to be a father without much guidance, because my father hadn't been there the way I thought he was going to be. And so I could explore what I'd learned in those past seven or eight years. And uh, I can't say I've got it down perfectly, but I guess the important part is that I'm showing up day to day being a dad and so I wanted to pass some of those lessons on to people who might be just about to have a child or might have just had a child because it was easily the most full on time of my life.
0: Yeah, um as you say very much how we are fathered or parented and raised impacts how we show up as parents ourselves. So it's really important to understand that and change it if we need to or keep on the same path if we've been raised the, you know, the way we think is positive. You also explore how your childhood shaped your identity as a man and a parent. How do you believe your past experiences have influenced the kind of father that you are today?
1: Well, I think uh, I was also lucky in the sense that I had an adopted brother come into my house when I was about three months old. So I lived as part of a sort of a two-person unit, me and my adopted brother. And so what that brought up pretty quickly was this idea of empathy and uh, belonging and sharing one's journey with someone. And so one of the most interesting things I picked up was that depending on the day, there might be something I could do a way to listen or to be there with my brother that would actually make his day and that would change the way his day was going. So I found that was pretty helpful. Um, My father was a wonderful man. Uh, He was also an on-call doctor. So that meant that I had a lot of time on my own and I was acutely aware of wanting him home uh, at a lot of the time. So that also fueled, I guess, my idea that I wanted to be present and to be there for my kids and that they wouldn't have too much time in their life where they were yearning, for lack of a better word, for their father. Uh, And I guess the other thing that I take away from my childhood is that I played professional sport a lot. And I learned a lot of great things from that space in terms of drive and achievement and things like that. But I also lived constantly in a space of perfectionism. Uh, And I was always trying to get the next win or get conditional approval from people in that area. So I wanted to both encourage my kids to find things they loved and were interested in. But I also wanted to really hammer home this idea that being perfect is a very dangerous thing for both yourself and for your kids. So what I learned, if nothing else, from both my childhood and from becoming a dad is that it's okay to make mistakes and that the repair is all important in that. And so a lot of my anxiety was around what if I got it wrong? And I figured I'd just not get it wrong, but that was a naive idea in the first place. So once I got it wrong, what was really liberating was finding out I could repair with my child and I could apologize. I could sit with them. I could listen to them and it's a fine balance, but I think there's always something to be said for embracing one's imperfections, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, children um, really do help us grow into the parents we want to be, don't they?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, Other than perfectionism, were there other patterns that you came to realise you wanted to challenge or break?
1: Uh, I tended to have a way of finding the worst case scenario at any given time. And so I think I was aware that some of that might be a bit preemptive beyond the normal approach. So probably discovering my anxiety and ways to manage it in the day-to-day has been the most helpful thing of it at all. So I didn't even really realize it was anxiety at first. I figured this is how achievement and success works. We push and we push and then we push again. So what was really helpful with my boys is that I noted this tension when they would need this is early on when they would need something from me emotionally, or when we were playing a sport and they might drop the ball or something like that. And I knew this was about me on some basic level. I knew there was a lesson here. And so the sort of the dominant voice in my anxious head was what if it goes wrong? How do we work with that? How on earth are we going to work with that? And I guess there, there's this idea that in fact, we are working with it all the time. We are managing our expectations as long as we were aware what those expectations are and if they need to be challenged. Uh, So I know for myself, anxiety has been a part of the journey throughout. It's ensured that when, uh, for example, my wife had postnatal depression, I was right on the ball and I was ready to sort of get her the help she needed. And at the same time, what I learned is that it also matters how I'm traveling in terms of the family and in terms of my children. So I also had to learn a bunch of management techniques. And I do remember one time uh, my, my psychologist at the time, he wanted me to do a mindfulness exercise. So he gave me this Sultana and he said, feel the Sultana, (laughs) you know, how does it feel? How does it smell? Be with the Sultana. And I'm like, Okay, I'm 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 with the Sultana. Uh, I, th- I think I should be with the children. <laughs> but it was really helpful because the other thing about the overthinking mind is that it's it's time hopping all the time. It's going three, five years in your children's future. And sometimes you just need to be present with them.
0: Yeah, they say being a parent can be your biggest trigger, and every day you are learning something new about yourself. Um anxiety and not being you know not seeking perfectionism Um, you've discussed those were there other things that you learned on your fathering journey
1: yeah I think on some level I took on some coding as a child um, that only really came up when I was a father which was this idea of not being difficult or not being too dependent on uh, my parents and so what's interesting is when one of my child Children is angry or is feeling an emotion that's a little more prickly than the usual one. So initially, that was a trigger point of, hang on, is my child being difficult or are they being bad right now or naughty? And so it was a trigger for me, I guess, because for whatever reason, I was rarely, if ever, angry in the family home. And it definitely didn't feel like it was a good idea to express that particular emotion. And I think sadness would be a similar one. So I know for me, it's been a process of opening doors that were locked in my emotional house and going, oh, that's okay. Like the expression of these emotions is so healthy. And so it's so necessary as parents for us to sit with our children in those emotional states and validate them. So for me, as that's happened, I've started to validate feelings of sadness, Anger, frustration in ways I perhaps hadn't. So I always had comedy as a defense mechanism. And I was basically running stand up on my entire childhood, uh, which worked to a point. But when you've got children at that young age, you're acutely aware that what you're telling them now will be a code or a message they'll take into their adult life. So what initially was a trigger in that emotional space. I guess, became a bit of a superpower for all of us. Uh, It's a very humbling thing being a parent, right? That you're constantly being presented with new information that challenges years of coding or even generations of coding and trauma. So I know for me to take a trigger into a space of an opportunity is probably the most empowering thing I've had happen as a parent.
0: It seems like through your writing and obviously the way you think um, and your mindset, you've unpacked yourself and your parenting and you know yourself really well. Do you think that parents these days and dads have the time to be able to do that? Or would you say they should take the time to unpack their own triggers and, um, you know, understand who they are? before or while they're having children themselves?
1: Look, that's a great question. And I think we're all pretty time poor at the moment. So I can absolutely appreciate uh, demands on our time. Uh, I think in a way, if we don't, it'd be like having a giant stick in a wheel while you're trying to drive a car. Like it will actually impede our progress as parents. So for myself, it's been really important to unpack this stuff. And I'd argue that if you don't examine it, it has the potential to be a bit like the stick in the car wheel to actually cause real damage to the wheel and to the car by extension. So, yeah, I I think it's important in the sense that we're never acting out of impulse or reacting. There's always a point at which we're acting where we can look in on ourselves and go, should I be angry right now? Or should I be crying right now? And even if you go, well, yeah, I should be to kind of understand why I think the why is so important in parenting, because otherwise uh, there's the danger there that a parent will blame the children or sort of see the children as the person bringing in the challenges in the space. Whereas to be a present parent, you have to be aware that you're bringing in a bunch of stuff into that space, probably more than the kid, most likely. So I don't always get huge amounts of time to do it, but what I will do sometimes and what my wife will do sometimes is say, can I take a few minutes? And are you right with boys? And we're like, yeah, that's fine. And then there's a sort of individual unpack. And then once the boys are down, we'll talk about it that night and say, Hey, I really felt like I was a bit overwhelmed at this point. And there's sort of validation in that. So I think the one missing cog in there from our previous scenario Is the partner because it's helpful to validate one's own experience and to unpack that. But it's also very scary if you don't have a partner going, I can see why you felt that way at that time, or I can appreciate the greater intent behind what you were doing at that point. So I guess it all comes back to that idea of things are okay within the family unit. So for the parents and for the children, that. It can be a safe space in which to feel rather than to act, if that makes sense. I think that feelings don't necessarily need to go to the most extreme act point. They can sit in a feeling space, be validated, accepted, and we move forward and stay in the present again.
0: Do you have a two-step or three-step process that you use that our dads can use as well? whereby if you're triggered by something that your child does, you can step outside of yourself instantaneously or quickly and, you know, unpack very quickly what's happening or pause the situation to then, you know, come back into it and not, you know, teach your kids a, the wrong lesson or react to them in a in a negative way?
1: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I'd probably call it a two-step process. And the first one is being aware of the trigger And almost like in a sports game, timeout, like I need timeout right now. Now, sometimes the other parent might not be there. In this scenario, let's say the parent is there. So the first step is the timeout. And the second step is anchoring back into the I feel space. And that can really take out all the other stuff. Not uh, my girl threw orange juice over the table or all of these things, which are all valid reasons for the escalate. But the escalate is about more than that. So I would encourage... Any father to step back into that space of I feel. um, And it's okay also to remove the pressure on the child and the father at that point and go, okay, look, whatever we were trying to achieve, it's not working right now. And to sort of sit in that space and go, even if to say to your child, dad needs a second, okay, I'm right here, I'm with you, I just need a second. And to remove that expectation. So I guess what I've discovered in my parenting life is that it's usually the heightened space that becomes reactive on both sides. And so if you can take one of those heightened spaces down a notch and center and maybe a few deep breaths and go, okay, I'm here. Uh, So even if the other partner isn't there, you can go, I'm going to center myself. I'm going to de-escalate what I'm requiring right now. Because... Most of the pressure is when we feel like something has to happen right now. And unless, I guess I've learned from where I am in Perth, there's uh, bushfires happening a few suburbs away. Those are serious escalation points where things need to happen immediately. A lot of parenting feels like that, but it's not as immediate as it feels in the moment. So if we can sit and sort of remove the pressure from the child, sometimes that removes pressure from us because we're not feeling like we're parents who aren't executing. And it also lets the kid know, hey, I'm not going to come at you this hard for a bit. And we're just going to work together and work through it. So sometimes the repair can come a little later. Um, It's hard to do in the moment. And so really, I guess I would just encourage the removal of the full intensity of pressure in that moment and just see. And even a pattern interrupt can be helpful too if you can de-escalate to the point that you can insert humor into the mix or compassion. Uh, So sometimes in my own life, it's seeing my boy. So I'm seeing what I need to achieve or what needs to get done in the house, a certain task. And I'm not as regularly monitoring their emotional state. And the moment I pull back and go, well, I'm feeling stressed, let's look at my boy again and go, actually, he looks like he's feeling stressed too. This is clearly not the scenario we want to take place here. So it does take awareness. I think it also takes a great deal of self-compassion. And that is probably one of the greater challenges for dads is that as boys in my generation, anyway, we were taught that our feelings don't really matter, that our emotions are a bit of a difficulty or something that's in the way of things getting done. So the moment we say, well, actually, if I'm heightened, it does matter. So how am I feeling right now? then that's a great lesson for our children too to say of course it matters that you're feeling tired or of course it matters that you're feeling sad so my journey as a dad has been uncoding a lot of that boyhood masculinity stuff too and going it doesn't actually work if boys don't cry because we need to be present and we need to teach our kids emotional awareness so A lot of that has been decoding that. And funnily enough, even people who might have taught me that boys don't cry when I was a child, if I've met them now, later on, we have much better conversations about what it means to be a dad. So I think every generation is learning a little bit about that. It's just really hard to unpack some of that stuff.
0: Yeah, it sure is. Um, I'd like to bring the overlay of the environment we're currently living in. And, Mm. you know, dads today might do things differently than their parents did. What do you think is the most challenging thing for dads nowadays?
1: I think mostly distraction. Uh, And it's a strange one to mention It's just that we have so many input points coming in at us via our smartphones. And the danger that happens now is that the workplace is more often the home space as well, particularly on the back of COVID. And so what would typically be the home is often where one's working now and things like that. So distraction is the key because I guess... The people who want us to be distracted are very good at prioritizing their information or at giving us a dopamine hit or anything like that so by contrast uh if you're either offered a whiz bang video that's designed to get your attention versus a very long game in parenting it can be tempting to use technology as a pattern interrupt uh and even i mean there are any number of versions of that. It might be, I just want to see five minutes of the game. I want to do all that. So then the hard part gets that as a parent, you're going to need Patman interrupts sometimes. So sometimes five minutes watching the cricket while the kids are out the back is probably a very good sanity chip for you. It's just that these things are designed to draw us in. And so if five minutes becomes an hour or two hours, or if even an hour of playing with your child is interrupted every couple of minutes with a phone hit, then I think that's a real danger uh, for both the parent and the kid. So there's a disconnect there for the parent because they're not really there. And there's a disconnect for the kid because they're, they're gonna be the first generation that grows up and their parent isn't looking away They're looking down at something. And so the most dangerous thing I see is that sometimes a kid will be going, dad, 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 and the the dad's too far in. I understand why that happens. I am absolutely empathetic as to why someone needs the phone. So I'm not judging them on any of that stuff. I guess I'm just saying that the more seductive technology gets and advertising and things like that, there's the potential danger for a kid to feel invisible in that space and that could have real ramifications going forward for them.
0: Yeah, distractions. Um, Put the phone away potentially, isn't it? (laughs) Well, Well, yeah. I mean, they're getting uh, better
1: and better is the hard part. So I think what's interesting is that it is a part of life and there are times where I've shared a moment with my child on technology too. So it's not like technology is bad. It's just the nature of what we do on it. And it's more the mindlessness of what tech can do sometimes. So there's a wonderful guy called Josh Langley, who's a WA alpha over here. And he does programs for kids self-esteem and kids confidence and things like that. Now, if I'm sitting there watching a video on building a child's self-esteem with a bit of humor in there, and we can talk about it as we're going and we can unpack it. And that becomes their go-to thing rather than say a YouTube channel or something like that. Then that's a wonderful discussion point it's just the hard part i think is that it's all connected when you're a parent and sometimes there's a part of the individual that came into that parenting relationship that wants it not to be all interconnected because there's a lot of pressure in that space and so i guess the other thing is that if we're not distracted we realise how big a thing is in front of us. We realise we have a life there that we're building with this person. We realise we love them just beyond anything ever before and that we're worried about them sometimes and that we have all these hopes and dreams for them and that life is a pretty unpredictable thing at the best of times.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, very, very crucial thing to realise that we've got a life before us. Um, (laughs) Yeah. For... You're expecting dads who are listening. Do you have three key things you want them to know um, as their journey into fatherhood begins?
1: Yeah, I guess the biggest insight I would pass on is that it's better to show up and mess up than to be absent, I think. It is hard to be a really great parent and so there will be mistakes along the way. It's still so vital that that presence is there and that the child feels that parental figure. That is trying to be with them and be empathetic. So it's it's you're going to make mistakes. Being an early parent is one of the scariest things that can ever happen to you, but it's also one of the most joyous things. Uh, the other thing is that it's vital that you get help if you need help. So I know we were pretty quick on the ball with my wife's postnatal depression, but it was still really important. That was a conversation that continued past the point of "I'm fine." because we couldn't have i'm fine in that space if she wasn't fine same thing happened in the reverse one she was feeling better if my postnatal anxiety wasn't checked then that's a danger too that you've got a, a volatility or someone's struggling is probably the best way to put it new parenting is gonna push your buttons and, and hit your triggers so if you need help, that's okay. And especially for dads, I think that because there are mother's groups, there's not usually the father's group on the other side. So whether it's a professional, or whether it's a family member or a trusted friend, I would encourage them to reach out. Um, And then the other point is to be aware and conscious of the moments of joy that are in the space. So it is tiring, it's exhausting, it's challenging. And yet, you're in the best movie you're ever going to see. This is the movie where you have a child in front of you who's learning and loving and whatever's your previous journey of dependence, it can reset on the back of becoming a parent and you can go, okay, what does connectivity look like to me now? Now that I'm the parent, what am I going to do to foster that? So I guess as, as life missions go, you've got one, you're here to love your kids. And as things go, that's a pretty special commitment, uh, requirement, and joy-making machine is parenting.
0: Yeah, thank you for pointing that out. Despite all the challenges, parenting is the best thing ever. <laughs> you
1: yeah, yeah, you yeah. wouldn't read about it. It's just next-level life-making. I mean, I actually struggled for ideas of what I was here to do on this earth, and I'm sure there are other things too, but there's something quite profound as you sit in the hospital room and you hear your child's cry for the first time and you go, okay, if this is one of the things, I really want to do this and I really want to build something truly special with this child. So it's quite a personal thing, but when you think that there are so many of those relationships out there in the world, it also has the potential to change how this world looks depending on what we do with that obligation and that responsibility.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Laurie, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you join us today and share a little um, of your life and fathering journey. Listeners, we encourage you to check out Laurie's new book, Love, Dad, Confessions of an Anxious Father. The link will also be up on the Fathering channel. Thanks again, Laurie, and look forward to speaking to you again soon.
1: Thank you, Katie.